For AZPM, I'm Mark McLemore, and this is Arizona Spotlight. Coming up, Going Wild with Dr. Ray Wynn Grant, the host of the NPR Nature podcast. She will share stories about close encounters with lemurs, lions, and bears in some of the most diverse habitats on Earth. Meet Tom Carlson, the 90-year-old co-founder and president of the Nanko Wellness Initiative, helping to improve thousands of lives in a small border community in Sonora, Mexico. And here, Kids at Play, a group of 11 young musicians, producers, videographers, and DJs who form a self-sufficient creative collective. Those stories are next on Arizona Spotlight. Since 1982, the PBS series Nature has been must-watch television for millions around the globe. Nature is also now represented by a podcast. It's called Going Wild, hosted by Dr. Ray Wen Grant. She's a real boots-on-the-ground scientist, a biologist and ecologist with an amazing amount of field experience and stories to tell. But it wasn't always that way for Dr. Wynne Grant. Before she earned her master's degree at Yale and her Ph.D. at Columbia, she spent an almost totally urban life growing up in California, where she never went camping or hiking even once. You know, there really are no rules especially for having a career in the outdoors or a career, you know, studying wildlife or protecting nature. Very often the people that we see in these roles grew up in the outdoors, you know, hiking and camping and fishing and hunting. You know, I was so different from that. I grew up in very urban, you know, inner city spaces and remained in those spaces until I had my first, you know, significant experience in the outdoors. It was all on the same day. I pitched my first tent and I went on my first hike and I saw my first wild animal, you know, literally just on one day. Um, And I was 20 years old. You know, my point here is that, you know, that's okay. I, I don't have regrets about how I grew up. I don't wish I had grown up, you know, taking hikes or seeing nature. One of the main messages is not, you know, necessarily to say, like, you can be just like me, but it's more, it's okay to be just like me. You know, it's okay to be a a late bloomer when it comes to exploring nature and the outdoors, and it's okay to grow up doing that, too. Well, when you talk about your deep research projects, one that comes to mind that you document in the Nature podcast series, Going Wild, has to do with lemurs. Oh, my goodness. You know, it's one of my favorite podcast episodes. And funnily enough, um, you know, in terms of chronology, that expedition occurred more recently than many other of the podcast episodes. Um, But in 2016, I had the wonderful opportunity to join this huge team of international researchers to do what we call a rapid biodiversity survey in Um, a rainforest in Madagascar. And it was a rainforest that had not been explored by scientists. And, you know, according to many of the Malagasy people who lived nearby that area, it hadn't really been explored much by, you know, the Malagasy community members. It was hard to access. It was at a very high elevation. It, you know, just wasn't super 
appealing or important to a lot of the people in that area who were mostly doing agriculture. Yet there were rumors from community members that there might be some endangered species in that forest. Some international conservationists were notified. A lot of high-level Malagasy scientists were notified. And I was called in to be a part of this team to explore this rainforest. Spend as much time as we needed there, which ended up being five weeks, and to just see what wild animals were there. What was amazing was that <laughs> I made a pretty incredible discovery. I was looking for ring-tailed lemurs, which is, you know, a ring-tailed lemur is the largest species of lemur, and, you know, in the world, but they're all endemic to Madagascar. It's a critically endangered species. You know, there may only be several thousand of them left, you know, in the world. Um, and we were looking for them in this rainforest, and the great news is that we found them. And not just found one, but we found a female with a baby, which indicates a breeding population of these lemurs, and potentially, you know, really flips what we understand about the ecology of the species on its head. And also bring some really good conservation news. So, you know, we're not always getting good news about endangered species, but we essentially found a population that was not known to exist, adding to the numbers that are left in the world. If you listen to the podcast episode, you'll hear that it was a very intense, really physically rigorous adventure that really kind of took me down mentally in some ways. So it was not just scientific a journey, but also very much a mental and emotional journey. One of the most interesting episodes of the podcast I listened to involved you and your research partner getting a call about a dead bear that was found in plain view. Explain to our listeners why finding a deceased bear might be so tremendous and a little bit about what that discovery meant as you investigated it. Yeah, it's absolutely true. You know, when it comes to, you know, large predators on this planet, we don't come across dead bears very often, right? Um, you know, for one, they're a long-lived species. Um, two, they are very remote species, you know. And three, you know, as humans, if we are encountering, you know, a dead animal, it's usually because of some kind of direct human cause, like you know, someone is deliberately hunting a bear. You know, bear hunting is legal in many states. Um, or maybe there's been an accident, like a vehicle collision, you know, with an animal or something like that. But we had a hiker in the Sierra Nevada mountain range and called the Nevada Department of Wildlife, who I was working with at the time, and reported like, you know, hey, it looks like there's a bear that's just dead and just kind of laying there. And the hiker did not approach the bear or anything like that, but instead called, you know, the wildlife hotline and reported it, gave us, you know, kind of the coordinates of where they were. My research partner and I went out to investigate, and indeed, we found um, a bear. body was still a little warm and not any obvious indication of what could have killed it. You know, no snake bite, no bullet hole. At the time, I was still learning, you know, bear biology and how we do this research. And the person I was working with was an extremely seasoned, I mean, a veteran of, you know, wildlife biology and in particular bear biology. And I looked to him to try to figure out, okay, well, well, what do we do now? Do we just take the bear, you know, to the forensics lab or, you know, what do we do? And 
he decided, let's do a necropsy. And a necropsy is an autopsy for wild animals. And he pulled out his switchblade and handed a switchblade to me. And we began cutting into the bear to essentially, you know, dissect it and try to figure out what killed the bear. And in the podcast episode, I detail, you know, kind of every step of this necropsy and the feelings and the questions. And then finally, I get to the result because we were right there in the middle of the forest, high on a mountain in the Sierra Nevadas, you know, just me and my partner and our knives and this dead bear. We were able to figure out what killed this bear. And it was a huge, huge surprise. Dr. Ray Wynn Grant hosts the PBS Nature podcast, Going Wild. You can find a link to listen to several of her thrilling episodes on the Spotlight page at azpm.org. Many people dream of a carefree and relaxing retirement, but Arizona resident Tom Carlson is experiencing a very different senior lifestyle by choice. At 90 years old, Carlson is well into his third profession. He's now the president and executive director of a nonprofit binational organization that has been transformational for many residents. Tony Paniagua has the story. After working at AT AT&T in Chicago for 25 years, Tom Carlson began a new career in the restaurant industry in Chicago and Phoenix. When he completed that chapter two decades later, he thought he would take a much-needed break. He retired in southeast Arizona, just a few miles north of Mexico. My wife and I moved to Bisbee in 03, and uh, after getting bored with house chores, I looked at the border. I did not know a thing. I came down and... At that time, they were building a migrant center. And so I helped out with that. And in that process, I met many people from the Naco community. Carlson also discovered the Naco Wellness Initiative. It's a nonprofit organization established by churches and healthcare groups in 2004. He joined their efforts as a volunteer in 2006. Two years later, he was chosen as the president and executive director, a job he's held, also as a volunteer, ever since. We started with once-a-month medical screenings over in Naco, Arizona, where professional medical people would come down from Tucson and from Phoenix and for a day or so would see people coming from Naco, Sonora as well, but also from Bisbee in the surrounding area. But as it turned out, the fence was built soon after that, and the people from Naco Sonora could not come over. And it was at that time that we decided we could do our best work on this side of the border. He's referring to the south side of the international boundary, where thousands of people have benefited over the years. And we ended up uh, with two clinics to provide primarily wellness and healing services. We teach uh, diabetes prevention and management. We run chronic disease workshops, and we do some physical therapy. We have a great exercise program. The Zumba ladies are there uh, early in the morning. And then we do a lot of programs for kids and for senior living as well. So it's kind of morphed into what we do now over time based on what the people of the community have said that they want the most. A recent and large addition is a thriving community farm and garden where we met and spoke during a harvest festival. 
The event attracted hundreds of residents from both sides of the border to celebrate the NACO Wellness Initiative and its people. It just keeps on going and growing, and uh, I guess the community likes what we do, and, and we just keep on doing it. The one-and-a-half-acre lot produces a variety of nutritious vegetables destined for needy families and senior citizens at no cost to them. The power of women fuels the property. They are in charge of day-to-day -day operations. Mi directora Lupita Sánchez, esto, esto yo, eh, Estela, Lupe, Ceci y Yesenia. That's the voice of Norma Bernabé mentioning the names of her co-workers. Bernabé began participating in the initiative more than a decade ago, and she adores this project. As you can see, looking around this property, it used to be full of garbage, weeds, and broken glass. But we started cleaning it three years ago, and it's become more productive with each new season. Not only that, but Bernabé says she has also experienced a personal conversion. Para mí, en mi persona, For me, personally, it's very emotional. It's like the famous transformation, the metamorphosis of a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. Someone said to me one day, you used to be a caterpillar, and now you are a butterfly. That's my change and what I feel in this garden. And the impacts are being felt by many other people, including Lupita Sanchez. She met Tom Carlson years ago, shortly after she had closed her pharmacy in Naco, Sonora. She wanted to help, so she offered that extra space to the group. Personally, it is marvelous to work for my community, to have a positive impact on the families with many needs. La gran sorpresa es que le abrí la puerta a un ángel. The big surprise is that I opened the door to an angel, a guardian angel, and without knowing it then, I would become his right-hand person south of the border. This great man has been a mentor in my life, and this experience has changed me. And for Tom Carlson, none of the progress would have been possible without hundreds of volunteers, families, professionals, and donors who keep the mission alive. This is my third career, so I, I wanted to do it well, and uh, I, they add a zero to my salary every year. <laughs> and it's been a, a wonderful, wonderful career. Uh, I give back much, much more than I give. And I love coming over here. Every day I'm here, and it's total familia. These people are so welcoming, hardworking, resourceful, you name it. They're great to work with, so who wouldn't want to work with them? What keeps you going? How, how old did you recently turn? 90. <laughs> well, you know, you don't rec realize your age so much, the more you keep going. And I want to stay vertical, and, uh, you know, this is a great way to do it. I love it. It, it energizes me. You know, I got up today feeling a little sorry for myself because I was tired and so forth. You come over here, you lose it all. I mean, you know, it just gets you right back up again. It's a great run. You know, I got a goal. A hundred is ten years away. There's a lot of work to be done. For Arizona Spotlight, I'm Tony Paniagua reporting from Naco, Sonora, Mexico. If you'd like to find out more about the Naco Wellness Initiative and its mission, we have a link on the Spotlight page at azpm.org.
happens when you combine the passion and talents of 11 different creatives? The musical collective Kids at Play combines the visions of each of its members to produce art that cannot be confined to a single genre. Originating in Virginia, Kids at Play's goal is to be self-sufficient, distributing and managing their brand on their terms. We'll hear more next in an interview with Leah Britton. I'm Smith. I'm an artist and producer in the group. My name is Marquise. Uh, I go by Marquise Flower. I'm also an artist producer. Um, my name is Quincy, also artist and semi-producer in the group. I'm Sid. I'm a manager in the group. I'm Eddie, and I do photo work, uh, video work, and a little bit of like creative direction, kind of stuff like that, just random, and then like tour management. What's up? I'm Jago. Uh, I do most of the branding, editing, social media, uh, and I do music business as well. My name is Earth, and I am one of the DJs in the group, and I handle most of our live sound um, for performances. How did Kids at Play come to be? We've been friends since high school. We started, a few of us were kind of making music in high school. I was making music in high school. And just through kind of the experience of becoming friends and also realizing some of us did music and some of us had other passions um, and photo and video and things like that, we kind of came together to just form what Kids at Play is. And we went to prom and homecoming and stuff like that together. And we just still here for the ride. We said, let's take it worldwide. Let's do it all the way. And how would you define Kids at Play for anyone who's not familiar with your guys' work? A group of friends that like to make cool stuff. Just It's one sentence, very simple. It's like a lot of people call us a rap group or like a, a band. And like we don't, we're not that. So we just call ourselves a group of friends. We're called Kids at Play The Creative House because uh, so when you think about a house, you think about family. And we kind of dedicate ourselves to make everything in-house. So we've never paid for any artwork, we've never paid for any sort of like service outside of the group. So like that goes as far as like mixing and mastering the music, uh, shooting the photos, making the videos, editing, social media, literally anything you can think of that you've seen that we've put out has been made completely by us. As 11 talented creative people, you're kind of bound to butt heads or maybe have creative ideas that don't align. How do you guys approach those kind of situations? We fight to the death. <laughs> Communication is a big thing in our group. So when we have disagreements, we some of us will make the people that are disagreeing sit down and talk it out right then and there because we don't want to let it fester. We don't want to let we don't want to let anything like build up over time. So if you have a problem with what I did or an idea that I had or you have a concern about your ideas not getting met, we want to talk about it so we can address it moving forward because you know, nobody wants bad blood, and we love each other, so we want everybody to feel valued and heard. Yeah, we have a lot of family meetings. You know, like those movies, they be, like, meeting in the living room, like, Dad be calling, like, hey, yo, everybody in the living room. You know, we, we do that on a regular basis. My legs free, I'm running. My legs free, my legs free, I'm running. My legs free, my legs free, I'm running. I want to get into your music a little bit more now. What's your personal favorites of your guys' stuff that you've done so far? I love running side. 
That's my favorite song. Make so much distance, they worried about your stride. It's just it's cool to see that one come to life because like I just had I had that idea for a song for a long time. Like I, I looked back in my journal recently and I had written my legs free like months, I don't even know, probably like six months before we ever actually finished the song or even started working on it. So it was just beautiful that that actually, that was a vision that got executed and, and you know, the video and everything just, it really came to life. I fought for a certain part in my verse really hard. And it was just beautiful to see that song started taking off and it was like validation, like, yes, that was a really good idea. People really love this part, especially when we do it live. People really love this part. And somebody didn't want me to do this part. I'm not gonna say any names, but we it did was the me. part. It was me, it was me, all right? Okay, let's get it out the way, it was me. <laughs> but it was a great idea, bro, my fault. We did it. And people love it, so that's really, you know, it's really validation. We, we love that it that it's blowing up now. It's one of our more different songs, one of our more true to self songs. I had one question based off of your song, The Sexualization of Pharrell Williams. There's like a sound bite that's like, is there anything you used to do as a kid that would explain why you like doing what you do today? I want to ask each of you that question and see how you would answer that. I think I was always entranced with just showmanship and like, you know, stars of the world. I was a huge Michael Jackson fan growing up. I, I, I had drums. I could never play them, but I had them. And all of that just felt freeing to me. So I guess that like built up into me just like honing in around like middle school and like finding out there's an actual technical way to make music and like be an artist and, 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 and make money. Yeah, I guess for me, I've always just been a big music fan and I was just always infatuated with the way that people can say these words and they have such a profound impact on people's lives. Like they carry it with them every day. They quote the lyrics. This music moves them and differentiating the people who can do that and the people who don't know how to do that. And like, just always love to be like, oh, that's why they're huge. And that's why nobody listens to this person over here. And just the nuances of that. And I always wrote music and poetry as I was a kid growing up. So now we're here and you know, it kind of makes sense. I think for me, I used to like go outside with my friends and we would run around and create like these worlds in our heads kind of like we'd like, I guess you call them now like role-playing games or whatever, like where you just like pick a character and you kind of just dive into that world. And we would we would just go outside and like, just imagine everything around us was different worlds and like different situations. And like, we were just like nerdy kids, like just like we love comics and movies and all this stuff. So I think when I found music and I realized that people's imaginations can create these worlds within music and with art and within art, like, that's all I wanted to do was use my imagination to just create anything in any world possible. So yeah, that's why I'm here. I used to do my signature like a million times in school, like in middle school and high school while the teacher was teaching. And I would just focus on that and I was just like perfecting it for like 
eight years straight. And I, I have notebooks, pages full of just millions of signatures and me like changing the P and changing the M and changing like the, the way I write it. And in my head, it was like, I need to have this before I graduate because I'm gonna need it somehow. I don't know what it is. And I just had this like vision for myself since the beginning. I guess I just like use that to like give me like hope, I guess, for myself to be like, okay, if I know how to do my signature, then, you know, I'm gonna look more professional. I would say one particular one was, I remember getting in trouble a lot as a kid, like at really young, maybe like 11, 12. And my mom had to find different ways to punish me. And she wouldn't do like the regular whooping. She wouldn't do like words or anything. She would take music away from me. And boy, when I tell you, I used to bawl my eyes out over losing whatever iPad, iPod, 3D touch player. I remember my cousin had to call me one time and be like, listen, I know you can take his phone, you can take his games or whatever, but don't take the boy music. So I think I've always like grown up knowing that music is gonna be a part of my life, but I don't think until I met these guys and these people did I know in what capacity or how far that would be. When I was like 14 or 15, I got like my first iPhone, like iPod. I started downloading like apps to like do like visual effects. I remember I painted my entire room like green screen green. And like me and my friends that we had like back then, we were like little kids. We were like messing around like with those apps where you can like green screen yourself onto like, like you would superimpose yourself and just have like a plane crash into you or something. Like a super silly stuff, but we were just like having so much fun. And then eventually it kind of grew into like something more serious where I would pick up like a film camera and I was like 16. Um, and I just started shooting all types of photos, but it wasn't until I met Kids at Play in like 2020 when I really took it as like a profession to do it professionally. And then I upgraded all my gear and I started getting more serious about what I wanted to do. But again, like Artone said, it wasn't until I met like this group of people where I started seeing it as a profession or as something that I could do for a living. For me, I guess music doesn't really run in my bones like how it does for them. But I guess for me, so more like, I really enjoy things behind the scenes, making things work behind the scenes, helping to do things like in an organizational way. In school, that's like what I was really interested in. I was more of a little nerdy academic girl. I like the sorting, I like the figuring stuff out like that. Sid was the girl that was so good at making those gingerbread houses, bro. Mine looked all messed up. And I know those girls that were in my class that had that don't looking like perfect, bruh. Sid, I had actually one question for you. What's it been like stepping into this managerial role? It's been a really fun experience so far, I would like to say. Um, dealing with 10 guys is very uh, difficult at times. I will say it's not they're not the easiest people to manage, but I, I love them a lot and they they are very patient and considerate with me when it comes to me learning, the, like with the learning curve when it comes to like, figuring out what it takes to manage a group that has so much creativity and stardom. Where do you guys hope to see yourselves in 10 years? That's always a hard question for us to answer because it's like, we don't know where we're gonna be. But I personally just wanna impact people with my music and be one of the greatest showmen on earth. Like I want light to shine through me and I want people to not be able to wait until I drop. I want everything I do to be cinematic, to be big, to be impactful. And, you know, I want to leave a mark. In 10 years, I want it to be undeniable that Kids of Play is just a movement. It's, it's raised the next generation. It speaks for Gen Z. 
yeah, it's, it's kind of beautiful. Like when we go to our shows, a lot of people, what we keep hearing, or a lot of times even on our on our social media, is we keep hearing people say, "Man, we're I feel like I just discovered like something that's going to be humongous, or like I'm early to something new." And we agree with them. We're like, "Yeah, you did. You really like." I'm glad that you got to discover us early because we honestly feel that in ourselves that we've started something that is like bigger than ourselves at this point. Like we've gotten to the point where we just feel like a personal obligation to just express our creativity. Everything that we do is just is just gonna go up and up, and that's how we feel about everything we do. You know how the Coachella lineups are, right? One of the goals is for you know as we progress and we blossom into our each of our you know more solo careers and solo discography we want each three days to be headlined one by marquise one by smith one by quincy i feel like you we want at life if we can headline coachella ourselves each three days that will be the most amazing thing and they're gonna add a fourth day i'm not forgetting a fourth day for coachella for Earthtone by himself, he gonna spin for five hours straight and have it packed with a hundred thousand people. Like my ego and my but you looked at me so different when you saw. I guess I you can find Kids That Plays Music on all major streaming platforms, and you can watch the video for Runners High on the Arizona Spotlight page at azpm.org. For Arizona Spotlight, I'm Leah Britton. Thank you for listening to Arizona Spotlight. This show is a production of AZPM. The music is by Calexico. The production engineer is Jim Blackwood. The assistant producer is Leah Britton. I'm producer and host Mark McLemore. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.